Hello? Hello? It's all around us. I think it's recording. Yes. Yeah, I think I. Are we, oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Are you recording on your end just to be sure? Um, <laughs> I can. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> my microphone's alive. Oh, uh, no, that's notepad. <laughs> I've lost all idea of what's happening. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right. Here we go. I, okay. So back again with me this week is Gary from the Bizarro Aficionado <laughs> podcast, which you really haven't talked about very much on this show. We really need to give you some time to uh, promote your show. But um, I have to actually do a show. That would be new. I, <laughs> I got I to gotta catch up here. Uh, we should do. You know what? I'm tired of doing my show again because we've just cranked out three episodes here. <laughs> I should, we should just do, right. do a show on your show is what we should do. I have I have stuff and it isn't actually stupid this time, so that would be new too. For I us. have stuff and it is actually stupid this time. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, you're on the other side of the microphones again this week. Um, last show was great, and uh, hopefully this one will go as well. We have yeah. Maja. I'm going to try to pronounce this right. It's Maja de Oust, I believe it is, and or she's Maja coming. Daust, something. something like she'll that. tell us. Yeah, and I'm, we'll be wrong. That's how we were last time too. Um, uh, no, it's wrong. And she's coming on here to talk to us uh, about a history of familiars. Now, I have a really bad problem where I have a hard time saying the word familiars in relation to the topic that we're talking about. And You're not Josh, just say familiars. Yes, and Josh Cutchin, <laughs> Cutchin always gives me crap about it, and so does my buddy Jim in Florida. So I know, I know, <laughs> at least one of them is listening right now to make sure that I say it properly. And it's a throwback because when I was a kid playing Dungeons and Dragons, it was pronounced to me that way. And for whatever reason, it just locked into my head because the person that told me to say it that way was wrong. So all these years, I have a hard time saying that. It's kind of like a speech impairment. You know, I have a hard time saying Mm -hmm. that word in regards to that topic. But if you ask me to say familiar, I can do it. Yes, this is very familiar to me. But in relation to that, for whatever reason, my brain just wants to kick in and stop me from saying it the right way. I don't know why. It's stupid. I don't get it. But anyhow. It's a lot more mysterious. Familiar. Yes, and I just... It must be the French trapper. And- Something like that. So anyways, um, no. hopefully what we center... Like, we're like, this is the kind of show we want to do. We want to do like a history kind of show. And both you and myself both have a whole bunch of questions. I admit I was late to getting the party to read... Late to getting to read this <laughs> okay, book. I just- 
So I just like picking you on you about it. No, that's fine because I give you a book and like you just inhale it. I'd be like, here, here's the book. Here's a PDF of it. We're, we're going to be talking about this, you know, and like the next day you're like, wow, that was a really good book. And I'm like, bored much? <laughs> yes. So, yes. Yeah, anyways. I, 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 on like second or third round of quarantine here, I'm about you, – you could send me a blank piece of paper. I'd try and read it. Yeah, you're on your second batch of quarantine now because of your job. Oh, my God. I'm done with it, dude. I'm going to go work at Trader Joe's or Wegmans or something. If I'm going to get infected, I want to do it making bread or some shit. Trader Joe's is not that bad. They do got some cool shit there. But anyways, um, yeah, we'll go into all this stuff at the closing of the show. Yeah. So uh, I guess let's just jump into our interview here with Maja. Yeah. Maha, Maja. Oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry how I'm going to pronounce your name. I know if you're listening to this, I apologize. But I'm sure she's used to getting this. However, I'll say this before we talk to her. She is very easy on the eyes. <laughs> oh, dear. So we haven't even talked to her yet. You're no, calling her even, sweetie. You're saying she's all early, easy on the eyes. Well, she is. I she's, can't take you anywhere. She, she's very attractive. But um, you're just another part of the patriarchy. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I, I embrace the patriarchy. So let's just jump mm-hmm. into this and we'll bug everybody at the other side of this. All right. Alrighty, here we go. Bye. All right, so tonight we have Maja DeWu. You are an author. You are a witch. You've written a really interesting book. It's about the history of familiars, the actual where they come from. History, as far as familiars go, everybody, the first thing that comes to mind is the black cat with the witch, um, Harry Potter with the owl. And those are the main ones. But the big one is the, the, the witch's cat. These things go way, way back, and you do a deep history search on all this stuff, which is why I was looking forward to getting you on here to talk about the history of what these things are and where they come from. So welcome to Project Archivist. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm really excited to be here. Let's start off at the beginning. Give me a little bit of a dime store history of, I, that's my favorite term that I use, of who you are and where you've come from and, and how you got into the practice, because you have an interesting background. I believe you were, am, am, am I wrong? I believe you were raised Buddhist or something along those lines? Oh, yes. So my mother uh, in the 70s traveled to Tibet where she lived in the Himalayas. She was actually on the border. It was back when they didn't allow people to enter Tibet. So she was actually in Kalimpong, India, and then she would walk over the border to study in a Tibetan monastery. So she was studying art and other things there. And then I was raised, you know, with her kind of info and books all around. So I got a very eclectic influence through her agency and kind of openness. And then my grandfather was a geologist. So I was exposed on one end to her very spiritual and open ideas. And then from my grandfather, I got a lot of just very real, earthy science and connection to nature. He spent all his time, as well as my mom, they both were nature lovers. So I got, like, through both of them also, huge exposure to nature. We would just hang out outside all the time, uh, which I know for a lot of people right now, it might make you drool at the mouth because we're getting so nature-deprived having to stay inside. But um, that was. Oh, I still fun. go out. I just stay away from people, but I still go out. <laughs> oh, 
Well, here in LA, they closed all the parks, so I can't oh, even no. go. Like my, I know it's brutal. I would have lost it. That, that, right? The only thing keeping me going. Hikes up in the in the wilderness, and it's really difficult for me. So, um, you know, it's worth it because we can keep people safe. But that's been very difficult in terms of even health. I think. It's important for people to get into nature, as I'm sure you guys will agree. But yeah, my largest influence was things I would see in nature and feelings and experiences that I had there. So I really was raised under those two influences. And then I went to school for science predominantly uh, because I just had a lot of questions about the world and how everything worked and what reality is. Uh, A lot of things that just didn't make sense. And I'm someone who's constantly filled with wonder. So I was really pushed into studying science. And from there, I found out in science that all my favorite scientists were studying alchemy and magic. (laughs) So back in that direction, just through like my favorite loves of scientists who would come to these genius realizations, I would always be like, how did they know that? Or how did they figure that out? I was more obsessed with how someone figured something out than the actual data itself. So I'm kind of like a big Right. I'm a big source seeker. Uh, So as I examined most of the sources for their inspirations, it was always like through nature, through dreams, through alchemists, through some kind of strange experience. Uh, You know, I got really into Nikola Tesla and looked at how he figured a lot of things out, which seemed to come literally through mystical sources. So I really like got inspired through my scientific studies to go further into magic ironically uh, of course a lot of people go the other way but for me that was the sequence of events and then from there right then I went into a kind of deep study of psychology following that because I wanted to really find out how much of reality is real in terms of science but then I was like wow there's definitely some influence happening here with consciousness so then I kind of went that direction good lord (laughs) no that that makes complete sense because here you you're a practitioner of magic which is you know the manipulation or the creation of something using your will I mean what better way to break that down and better understand it than to understand one the elements you're you're working with in science as well as the psychiatry of an understanding of the will that you're trying to manipulate or use anyway so it it, it makes a lot of sense yeah there's a lot of science will study like you said the elements but then they leave out our role in it right and I, I think that's where magic is heading I think people are looking for a more scientific more analytical form of magic I, I know at least in in chaos or in chaos magic practitioners they're looking for that more of reality based science based all right what are we actually doing and how is it doing it and why is it doing it I love seeing that trend I think that's because I love chaos magic yeah Go ahead. The younger generation, I was I was talking to Michael Hughes about this, and the younger generation is coming along, and you're seeing these millennials and this younger generation that's coming in, and they approach things and they see things differently and they think differently. So they're like, there's this meme going around. It shows like the old school pra- magic practitioners, and then it shows the young magic, like the like, chaos magic, and the chaos magic guys are flipping everybody off, and they're just doing their kind of their own thing. And it's mm-hmm. upsetting the system. I don't know if you've seen the meme or not. It's Good. kind of funny, but it's like. Um, there's a whole new generation of people that are practitioners coming along that are either embracing 
different concepts or just flat out saying, fuck this, I'm going to create my own thing and I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it my own way. And that's kind of the way things are going now. So you're seeing this weird kind of, which I applaud it. You know, anytime, like I'm not an anti-millennial at all. I'm like, you got, you know what? We tried, we messed up. You guys do what you're going to do. And I think they touch, take way too much grief, even along the lines of practicing and trying to find your way in and what you're doing and everything. Cause there's a big movement to move away from the church and go into different directions with this stuff. You know, and I think Gary's the same way. We're both just sitting back here with our thumbs up going, rock on, man. Go for it. You know, yeah. we're, genera- we're generation X magic people and the, the millennials are coming along and we're like, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Try that. See how it works for you. Let us know. You know, we're watching. Right. <laughs> I do not agree more. Yes, I think it's riveting. And I'm it's funny, though, because I'm Gen X also. So let me ask you guys this. Maybe you've noticed this, too. I love the new energy. Right. And of course, uh, nothing better than beginner's mind to solve the problem, sure, right? Sure. Anytime there's the fool it has superpowers for sure. So, but it's interesting because I keep seeing them run into, it seems like there are these quintessential problems that never go away, right? Which of course is why we have archetypes in general. There are just some things that are true no matter what. So it's right, funny right. because while they are finding innovative new ways to think about it, and I feel like chaos magic is the best way to marry all of these things together Amen. in a way that Amen. I think, right? No one would have ever thought of that. It's genius. I can't wait to see how they'll work on solving uh, some of these huge blockers they usually get in the way, like things like polarity, right? Obviously, every magician comes to understand uh, that oppositional forces are real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for every action, there's a reaction. For everything you do, there's a cost. It's just a matter of balancing things out if you want to break the world or not. Yeah, right? That cost. So I'm really intrigued by seeing uh, what will happen there and how if they'll kind of return to the source and do a drawback into history, I feel like the only way forward is we have to have some kind of combo of those two things. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I agree. With you. Yeah, we're all on the same boathouse here. Yeah, I, we got to work at it. Let's just jump into this. Where do we start with familiars? Because familiars it's generally believed that it all started with witchcraft and this stuff goes far, far back. And as you talk about in your book, it actually spans out into multiple cultures. And a lot of these things are all the same. They're just viewed differently. So where do you want to start with this? Take us on a journey here. Yes. So for me, part of my research is I want to look at everything and then see what's the same everywhere. Cause that's like, Uh, You know, a lot of people will find a tradition or a belief that they're comfortable with, and then they kind of settle deeply into it and go through the microscope there. And that's a good technique. But I kind of did that and then was like, well, where else is this true? So with familiars, uh, I found truth in it through my experiences with nature, right? Like I said, so I was like driven to see like, well, where else is this? Because if something's true, it's going to be true everywhere, right? There's some truths that are universal and those are the ones that I always want to see because they have the most power. Um, and certainly if something really is true, it should be evident. It should be self-evident. So you're going to see a lot of other people seeing it as well. So with spirit and any kind of spiritual things, I always like looking into multiple dogmas to see if they're saying the same thing, but with a different language, a different name, right? We see every religion talks about God, but they just all have a different name for it, for example, right? But does that mean they're talking about different things? 
well, then you got to get into definitions and what what is the same they're talking about and what isn't. So with familiars, I did a similar thing because I was like, well, what makes it fit under the definition of a familiar spirit so I can know that everyone's talking about the same thing, right? So that I'm not just trying to make a circular reason or correspondences where they don't exist, right? Yeah. So, right, because that's a problem. Some people just want to find their truth everywhere and then they kind of do projection, which isn't necessarily going to be true. So with familiar spirits, I think the best place to start is going to be with a definition. So what I found was that a familiar spirit is going to be uh, a sentience that is not inherently you that you come into an intimate relationship with, right? Mm -hmm. So these tend, most people, like you said, seem to focus on animals with it, either black cats or like the Harry Potter stuff. So they think of a familiar spirit as being specifically animal. However, even in witchcraft traditions, we see that this isn't true at all. And then a lot of familiar spirits will take the form of not only a nature spirit, so it can be an animal you can also have a tree. You can have rocks, right? You can have any of these kind. You can have an entire mountain. You can have a river. A lot of land are considered like a familiar spirit that have their own kind of entity attached to it. It has like more of like a sentience feeling to it. We see that it's also ancestors, right? In the traditions, familiar spirits can be like family. It comes from the same root word. As family, so it can be like your passed on grandfather, your great great grandfather, your great 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 grandparents. You know, it has like a pretty wide application when we start investigating it, especially in indigenous cultures too, who have not only animal spirit familiars, just like witches do, they have ancestor familiar spirits, they have land based familiar spirits, water, bodies of water. Right. And all these kind of things. And then what I also found was in addition to these kind of more palpable, identifiable things, there was more abstract things that can be considered familiar spirits. And these go more along the lines of a sentience or intelligence, things like angels, demons, right? These kind of more entities or beings that can also be considered familiar spirits. So your definition of a familiar spirit more or less is any kind of spirit or beyond being, for lack of a better term, anything that attaches itself to you in some way, shape or form can be considered a familiar. Yes. The really, I, what I found was the key element for myself and others and throughout history was that there was a kind of intimate relationship specifically. See, I was really happy. In your book, you brought up Carlos Castaneda and uh, mainly talking about plan allies. And yeah. that was a book that really got me in a lifelong rabbit hole, I guess, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. It, that really spoke to me as far as really defining the paradigm of familiar. Because it's not just this, oh, it's this demon that is in an animal and then it does stuff for you. You have to earn it. You have yep. to develop the relationship. You have to keep the relationship. And uh, that that really that it was those first books with you know Don Juan and like that that really kind of drummed that home for me. So I was happy to see that in your book. And it's funny that you brought up places because I all my life I, I would have these places and I used the term power spots like they used in 
uh, like Don Juan used. Because I always uh-huh. found places that I felt confident and stronger and better and more than I was elsewhere if I was there. You know, whether it was a certain park or a place in a park or a spot in the house. So that's something I've used all my life. I would just like in the book, I would roam around the room and be like, here, here's the spot. You know, because I remember him and boy, this is going back to like high school when I read these last. But, uh, you know, he would have to sit on that porch and move around trying to find that spot. And yeah, familiars can be all of that. I, I You really brought it more beyond just that that fear and that superstition that people have on it. And do you think that that's still there, that fear and that that people have that it's you're like, oh, the, to have a familiar is a bad thing. That's a demonic thing. You don't want that versus the fact that they just don't understand how this works. You know, it's so confounding to me uh, because I find that a, a lot of people who have the most superstition and abhorrence to it will themselves practice the very same thing of course, right <laughs> so yeah. i get the most flack from christians who have the holy <laughs> really Spirit. you don't say <laughs> I know, it's so weird so weird but they literally have the holy spirit which is uh blatantly a familiar spirit even in the form of an animal it's a it's a gosh darn dove you know what i mean so like they'll on the one hand be admonishing uh, a, a witch for having a familiar spirit while they're praying to no less than the Holy Spirit in the form of a bird. And additionally, <laughs> they'll have, right, and they use necromancy through calling oh, up sure. dead saints. They'll have relics of bones of, of dead yeah, people cool. that they pray over, but then they tell witches that necromancy is evil. So that superstition, I would encourage people that if they have any kind of open relationship with their loved ones who have passed, you know, maybe think twice before you're going to get on the witches about it because, you know, you might be doing it too. Familiars were in Rome too, correct? They were in in, in Greek and Roman practices as well. How did they manifest there? Well, I mean, some of the most famous examples is like the Oracle of Delphi. So a lot of people just have heard of the Oracle of Delphi, but don't know much of the history because everybody has made fun of or ridiculed these kind of traditions okay so it's isn't it funny how as soon as you kind of poop talk something people no longer pay attention to it so you can swear here if you want to we're completely fine with that (laughs) (laughs) i know i do my kindergarten teacher style um but so if you look into what the oracle of delphi was doing She was entering into an altered state of consciousness in order to come into dialogue with her familiar spirit, which was a giant serpent or dragon. The name of her familiar spirit was a python, which, of course, is where we get the word python for snake. And it was a giant terrifying. It was a terrifying serpent uh, that people would be completely fearful of. And uh, the place that she did her divination out of was called the Pythia after the Python. But she basically was going into a state where she was having a conversation with a dragon. And then she communicated that data to whoever was present. So moving on from there, see what you're saying now, you see this mirrored in a lot of Asian cultures, what you brought up earlier about having uh, deceased relatives and things like that, or spirits of your ancestors. Um, Yeah. This is why Asian families have dragons and stuff in their homes. It's believed that these spirits would, you know, come back in the form of a dragon or whatever. Like Mulan, the movie Mulan, the cartoon Mulan. Yeah. 
the little Absolutely. dragon spirit that comes back, you know, to, to go to watch yeah. out and guard over her. And then you see you bring it up again in Native American culture where you bring up specifically totems. But yeah. after beyond totems, you also see it in crow spirits and wolf spirits and all of these kinds of things when you go out on a vision quest. Yeah. yeah. So like when you go on a vision quest and, and you're greeted by wolves or uh, there's the legend which the movie The Crow was based off of when you pass on and go into the afterlight, a crow, a crow comes along or a raven comes along and leads you into the afterlife. In Nordic culture, the crow and the ravens were also very pinnacle in that as well because you have Odin, you had uh, Fugan and Mugen. I hope I'm saying their names yeah. right. So you see these things throughout culture. Am I am I stepping on your toes? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I love everything you're saying is 100% accurate. I'm in agreement And uh, it's so when you start to really pop out of that uh, sphere and see how prevalent this phenomenon is, you start thinking, wow. For me, what hit me was the implications, not just that this is happening, but what does that imply about the, number one, interconnectedness of life? If we're just looking at animals, like you said, and mentioning the crows and how they would be somehow spiritually guiding us or assisting us, right? So that's showing a profound interconnectedness on a sentient level uh, between us mm-hmm. and nature. And then the fact that we are able to come into dialogue and relationships with these kinds of um, spirits or our ancestors or things that seem insubstantial or not readily measurably present in our reality, but we can nonetheless have some kind of interaction or dialogue with them. You bring up in your book, the, um, the berserker, since I've brought up yeah. the Norse mythology, what, what does it deal with the berserker? The berserker is an animal power technique. So um, the word berserk means bear shirt or to kind of put on a bear skin. So the the warriors would don themselves uh, with the skin of a bear and they would take on the power of that animal and they would do it before they went into battle. And of course the tales of their kind of supernatural abilities that they would exhibit, they were indefeatable, right? So they had um, what people could only call a supernatural protection, uh, which goes into the role. A lot of familiar spirits seem to take as that of a protector or a guardian. So when a lot of warriors or shamans or individuals uh, will use the assistance of a familiar spirit, they gain a a kind of protection or guardianship over them. That's one of the things you bring up in your book as well is the, the, once you attain a familiar, then you in turn, which is kind of like when I was younger playing Dungeons and Dragons, depending on what familiar you had in the game, you would get powers based off of that. So you bring up the section there about superpowers in relation to once you attain a familiar, the powers you get from it. How does that work? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like, well, that's a big one. All want to know. Let's just really be honest, right? How do superpowers work? <laughs> exactly. Yes. How do yes. How do I go out and get myself a nice familiar and gain some super cool powers with it? It's like having friends. So, like I said, it's like a relationship, right? So, think about this: what is more powerful, you trying to do something on your own, or if you got like twenty tight bros coming up with you? <laughs> Right? Oh, yeah, totally the bros, dude. When two things come together, and this is a principle of alchemy and also magic, when two forces join together, that increases their power. 
You see this in every relationship and that commitment, uh, the commitment in occultism forms the foundation of the temple. So for anyone that is meditating or going through the initiatic process, you'll hear a lot of language that talks about uh, building or creating a foundation of something. The foundation is the thing that will be there when everything else fails, right? Mm -hmm. This is the construction of the firmament. This is the firmament that is the solid ground that you have to stand on when everything goes into chaos, right? If you have not constructed or have a firm foundation with your relationship that you're forming, uh, whether it's with human beings or a nation or whatever it is, whatever covenant that you're entering into, if, if there is distrust, that foundation uh, will not withstand the chaos and it will crumble. A lot of people have been finding that out as we enter into increasingly chaotic times. You find out what your foundation is, who those tight bros are, who is available to you and who skedaddled. Uh, when the going got rough, right? This is something yeah, that we sadly yeah. discover uh, when times like this increase. So there is uh, nothing more important than a firm foundation of a relationship based on reciprocal exchange and trust when entering into times of chaos, because that is what will make the difference of you being able to have a powerful position Versus you entering into a sea of quicksand. You see a lot of this in uh, the creation of servitors and uh, egregores, you know, yes. the development of of creating that relationship and then feeding it daily yeah. and monthly and yearly. And in, in your chapter on uh, on fetches and libido and celibacy, uh, you discuss also personalized object of focus, uh, such as the uh, elegua or the majago. So it, I. I liked also that you brought in that the, it doesn't have to be this animate object that mm -hmm. it can be the spirit that comes into something that's apparent, you know, appears inanimate, but then can become animate. Because I believe the Majago would sing and dance. And uh, I actually forgive me. I forget what the uh, Lagua would it would talk. I, I think it would. Yeah. It would it would talk. Talk. Yeah. So I mean, how does that compare to like creating something as large like as an egregore or well, what is an egregore before you go? Because for people who don't know what an egregore is, you, do you want to explain an, it? An egregore mm -hmm. can be an intentional or an unintentional uh, creation. I mean, for those of us, for those that are kind of atheists, you could even look at. I'll get crap for this, but take Jesus. Whether you believe in them, you don't believe in them, if you're going to give them the attention and you believe in them and you have all these followers and all this belief, it can create something. So you're talking so about it's a tulpa almost like effect. a thought form. Yeah, yeah very okay. much like a tulpa or a thought form. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then a servitor is a much more minor, uh, forgive the word disposable, but one that's coming in for one singular purpose and then being dismissed. And, you know, you don't name that. You don't give it too much attention because it needs to go when it's done. But. Yeah, so I would say a couple of things there. A familiar spirit, rather than an egregore, I would differentiate by stating they are something you did not create, but they were already there, right? right? So it's like, I didn't create you, but you're my friend, but I maybe could create an imaginary friend, and that would be an egregore, right? right? But I think some people call 
certain archetypes, egregores, where I would argue they were already existent sentiences. Yeah. Um, that's like a whole field of things. So the servitors are talked about, I feel like more in the terms of like a homunculus where you create yes. it and then it's right. So yes, exactly. Right. My feeling on it, although I'm sure a lot of people will nitpick on that one, but that's just my opinion. But yeah, so with an egregore, then it would be something you constructed in order to uh, gain that power. And those work uh, predominantly like an idol, uh, which right. is through consensus and attention, right? So um, the way that anything works in nature, just like if I... If, there, if a cat has a bunch of kittens and there's a runt that doesn't get attention or focus, it's not going to prosper, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we get there's this rule of nature that when things get abundance and prosperity, those things prosper and they fruit and they come to fruition. If something is left out or neglected, uh, it kind of withers away due to inattention, right? So this right. is... All, try and remember, like all our consciousness exists inside of nature. So it's just going to follow and mirror uh, the same rules and things that happen there. It's not, it kind of removes a lot of mystery. But if you look at a lot of these magical ideas, you're going to see it happens the same way it does, right? Which is actually yeah, reoccurring sure. to me because uh, it's just law. So when we have a familiar spirit, which already has like the power of something or an attraction to something, we kind of have an added sentience to it that I feel like is like an additional sovereignty adding to it. Whereas if we use an egregore, it's more like if we have another arm to do something with. So we're still mainly relying on our own energy, right? Right. Right. Or like a consensus where we get some other people to agree. So that's more like kind of how a law has power rather sure. than a archetype, right? Yeah, yeah. Consensus. In that same chapter, you talk about, uh, and you had mentioned earlier, you have to have this personal relationship, but you talk about that, uh, that the, the sexual fantasies of an unsatisfied libido can also attract non-human spirits. Could you talk yeah, about that? Yeah. So again, like in nature, when there is a, uh, a force or energy gathering, it acts as a magnet or attractive, right? So, and the main reason people will form these idols is to get it like magnetized to a kind of attractive force. So for maybe some people listening, maybe they dabble in magic or witchcraft and they've heard of like doing love spells, right? Or like attraction spells or manifesting, okay? So any kind of manifesting magic, you're basically just obsessively focusing on something that you want. Sure. Yeah, but that right? circumvents the whole it's, process of free will by doing, I don't know, I'm sorry, the love spell thing has always been yeah, a weird topic with me. It's like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> but go ahead. Like it, why do I want to make someone love me? That's so boring. Yeah, it's kind um, of boring. Yeah. Right? Like, ho-hum, like, Wow big conquering there. No, that's not what I do. Yeah. But for people that do those practices, that's like the same operating function, right? So right. it's like right. an obsessive compulsive concentration. Okay. So we find that that's what desire is. It's something that's not going to leave you alone. It's you're going to keep coming back to it. You can't shake it off of you. Right. What happens when you really like someone, you can't get them off your mind. Right. Yeah. So it has this kind of obsessive quality. So when we have 
uh, our sexual function or libido is a, a primitive power of procreation that wants even beyond what you might think you want. This is why people get into bad relationships is <laughs> yeah, through the force yeah. of their libidos, right? Because they're they're actually getting superseded by their own uh, unknown desires. This ruins many people's lives, right? Yeah. I, then they come to me yeah. for a session. Um, right. Right? Because they now have to figure out how to untie all these knots that they made. But the power and force of the libido is a creative force, and it's a primal creative force. And when we don't indulge it or um, kind of blow it, Right. When it gets stored and charged, it builds in its intensity. So it's kind of like a static cling or a static electricity that other things are going to get attracted to. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Catherine Ironwood. Uh, She she works in uh, hoodoo and uh, she would always say, I don't understand why people will do magic to create a relationship and do magic to end a relationship or to start a relationship and no one ever does any magic to better their relationship or understand their partner or to make build it stronger or she's like why does it lose everything in the middle always it's death magic right it's so dumb yeah i agree i do magic for empowerment and to like Right. Positively charge it. Why everybody focuses on drama and then they get more drama. Weird, See, that's right? the other thing. It's like it. you bring up the whole idea of excessively compulsing over something. But really, that's that's the most powerful energy that you're going to be able to put into something like all from what I was always taught. And from what I understand, all of this stuff is it's all props. It all comes from yeah. you and from where, for what you're doing with it and your intention and your will that you put out there. So like, yeah, I don't really have a set study. If I did, it would be along the lines of conjure and hoodoo and things like that. But I don't look at people and go, Whoa, well, you're wrong because you do it this way. In the end, it doesn't matter, but the excessive compulsiveness and the energy that you put into what you want is where the things come from. Cause you have to have that energy. Agree. Passion. Passion. Yes, you have to have the passion behind it to make things do what you want to do. Even if you're, you got to be careful about it because even if you're not paying attention, you can, you can make things happen. And I always get people like, "Hey, how how do I do this or how do I do that?" And I'm like, "Well, you can do what you want, but you got to be conscientious of the effects that it's going to have and how you're going to affect the people around you and what you're going to do by doing these things." consequences yes so because it follows it follows the path of least resistance so yes going back to um but i'm, I'm going off on a, a, tra- a, t- a tangent here since you bring up the whole process of sexual energy and that is another form of compulsion and it's a better buildup of energy and so forth are you familiar with this thing called a tokolosh by chance because have you ever heard of this thing it's a south american thing it pretty much is a familiar that witches were believed to summon. It was like a little sex dwarf with like a huge penis that would throw over its shoulder. I'm completely serious about this. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? I haven't heard of it, but I like it. Yeah, if you look it up, it's uh, we covered it a long, long time ago. So when you guys are talking about sexual energy, because again, this goes back to with familiars and witches, they were always like depicted in some weird shape, shape or form as being something sexual and, and conversing with the devil right. or something like that. That's because of the libido. It's because of the That's libido. It. Yes. Yes. So when there's all these little like like sex dwarf things that you have, you know, <laughs> that are tied to familiars in a lot of ways. You know, How did we get the sex dwarf? Yes, you do. Yes. 
Not the song Sex Dwarf, but still. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, golly. yeah, but you, you bring that up in your book, too, about the whole, you know, that's what we're talking about here, the whole libido thing and how, how it all ties in with these things. So, yes. So many practitioners and through this is not an isolated incident. OK, you're bringing up something from South America. I talk about in the book that many shamans from ancient cultures come into marital relationships, OK, where they have a full blown uh, marriage with the spirit. As I mentioned uh, from Stephen Byers book that a lot of shamans come into, they have like a, a wife that is the plant spirit uh, that they develop such a intimate relationship with that that spirit then becomes jealous if they have other conversations with other people and it gets like to different levels of severity right in in christian evangelical uh traditions they talk about these kind of spirit wives that or spirit husbands that people take on we see uh going all the way back to ancient egypt we see that isis uh participates in these kind of marital relationships with very specific angels that are named. Uh, we see in Christianity itself, for crying out loud, Mary has a sexual encounter with the Holy Spirit. So, like, this isn't a weird idea. You know, we laugh because you're talking about the sex dwarf, but no less than the Holy Spirit itself also engages in this activity. So, to me, I'm, like, reading all this stuff, and I'm like, I can't believe people don't have this conversation uh, or, like, bring this up and its implications, and then they call witches crazy. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> we're, we're creatures of spirits, too. I think we crave that energy just like any familiar would. We want to be... We want to be needed. We want to be utilized. We want to be, uh, yeah. you know, and I, I think we as spiritual out can become familiars in both a good and negative way to other people in our lives. Like you said, in bad relationships and it's toxic too. Right. But even oh, then, 100%. Like, uh, like you mentioned before, like what about a commitment to fixing when things go wrong, right? Or clearing right. negative energy right. that develops. Chances are, I mean, how many of you guys have had a perfect relationship in your life that never had negativity or suspicion or envy or distrust enter? That doesn't happen because things mess up and things go say wrong. Those happen. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> those are fairy tales. <laughs> even in fairy tales, drama. Like, yeah. so I get so pissed yeah. because I'm like, that's not, the focus needs to be on making your commitment you know, and trying to heal uh, things when they go wrong. Obviously, there's certain boundaries that when things get to a, an abusive enough level, you have to then take action. But if corrective things can happen more, I feel like there would be less openings for those abuses to occur. Oh, yeah. If Right? If people would focus more of their obsessive compulsiveness on healing and correcting uh, not only their own, but helping bring awareness to other people's incidents and uh, work through those relationships, we'd have less kind of unhealed, wounded running around everywhere. So let me ask you a couple of questions about a few of the things that you specifically call out by name. Now, granted, these are probably similar, but I'm sure they're also different in many ways. So let's talk about what is a Nagul. Am I pro pronouncing that correctly? I'm not sure because um, I'm done with that stuff. But yeah, it's N-A-G-U-A-L. I assume that's how you pronounce it. Plus, it says ghoul, so I just like it that way. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> A familiar spirit, which goes kind of to another level because it can enter you 
And there's a lot of stories of witches kind of being able to enter into the consciousness of the animal and see through its eyes, you know, kind of like that movie Beastmaster. Mm -hmm. And and there's all those uh, stories where the witch can kind of enter into that sentience. And with the Nagul, basically it can enter into you so that you take on some of its properties. And that goes more into like shape-shifting ideas and kind of like the Berserker would be... Yeah, it sounds those. like voodoo with the uh, the uh, the loa, where you let a loa yes. ride you. Yes, you get ridden. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the way again, W E Y E K I N. What's that? That one uh, is more of a communicator where you do a vision quest. That's in Native American traditions, and you have to do a kind of sacrifice and offering and in exchange you gain information wisdom and kind of like data so um, there's a lot of these kind of familiar relationships where the people get into it just to get data on stuff so like in the story of isis from egypt she wants to know how to do stuff okay And if we look at all of these histories and traditions and cultures, a lot of the individuals that gain key information and knowledge, things like language, uh, agriculture, music, mathematics. If you look into the history of some of these subjects, funny enough, you see it's someone having a conversation with a dragon is how we gain knowledge as human beings about some of these very key Uh, foundational information practices of civilization that seem to come into the minds of humans through conversations, dialogues, and relationships with some kind of supernatural entity. So the way again, the Native Americans would seek when they had to do like some kind of healing, needed information on what kind of plants were needed uh, to do things or needed to do like prophecy or see into the future to figure out uh, important things about wars or things like that. So, Gary, did you have anything or you, you want me to shoot at it? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, mean, I do have one more, but... I'm a big fan yeah. of fae and fairy folklore. For years, I was always under the yeah. impression that a fetch was something that when they came in, when you had a changeling, they would come in and take your child and they would leave a changeling behind, that that was also referred to as a fetch. That um, mm-hmm. Are these the same things or are these something different? Because you bring fetches up in your book and as I was reading, I'm like, this doesn't match what I thought they were. Yeah. So what I uh, found in my research of a fetch, it's very much that libido relationship of desire where it's like uh, something that will go out and get you what you want. Uh, So if you were, it's very magnetic uh, libido based energy from my research, which is like when you say someone's fetching Mm -hmm. or go fetch me a glass of water. So they're more like a personal servant uh, kind of familiar Uh, that's based on magnetic attraction and manifesting. Uh, The changelings, I write about in there as as well. I have a whole chapter on fairies, which some people would come into marriages with fairies, like I was mentioning earlier. Uh, And a lot of that goes into power relationships, and people would form entire nations uh, with fairy bloodlines. There's all kinds of data Uh, that Evans Wentz in his book, uh, The Celtic Fairy Faith, gets into 
his well-researched history of how they feel like there was actually family relationships with fairies. And so they have these changelings that they would substitute and then the fairies would like interbreed or intermingle with humans. Uh, so I'm not sure uh, where you read that that was like the fetch or where that came from. But most of the stuff I read had distinguished the fetch as specifically being more like a servant. Well, what you say makes sense. So it's that, that, that I was like, okay, this, this sounds right because of the root word and everything like that. I just never heard of it quite described that way before. It was always explained to me, no, this, because the changeling is what's left behind when they come and abduct your child, they leave a changeling behind. And it's uh, right. usually sticks and stuff like that. That's all been glamored to look like your child. Um, oh, Fetish. You're thinking more like a fetish, yeah. Possibly that might be what it is. Yeah, because fetishes tie into this as well. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because <laughs> yeah. that was where I was going to go next. So uh, since you have brought it up, how, how do fetishes tie into this thing? Is that that's something that you create and you imbue with the spirit, no? Yes. So that's more like the Eligua thing where you focus and concentrate on it and bring a fetish is – like it's that obsessive energy, right? It's funny because now it has like a kind of sexualized connotation, but it's very much similar where you focus your libido energy to charge it. And it can be just like you said, something you make out of sticks. Kind of like the whole Blair Witch thing with the sticks hanging in the tree, yeah. like something like that. Yeah, that's a fetish. I, uh, I was completely blown away about your uh, your history of Sibel. And its connection, uh -huh. and her connection, you know, the 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 stone, the meteorites connection to Islam. When I, I got down to this part, and I just it, mind blown. I, I never put the two together, and the way you write it and your research and everything makes it makes it incredibly plausible that that was actually how that went. Could you talk a little bit a little bit about that? I don't want to give away too much because I want everyone to go out right now and buy the book. But oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of really hardcore information and data from my familiar spirit about Sabelle and the history of familiars. So that's something that I've had a big connection to. I have a big connection to Sabelle in general, personally. Um, so for me, it was kind of stuff I had received. Uh, most of it, I actually got a lot of the Sabelle energy uh, at spring equinoxes because I do some earth uh, nature practices and it really came in then and then I just started on these crazy research trails uh, and it blossomed and kind of came together so those connections like I maybe even can't take credit for because they came <laughs> uh, direct from the source you know uh, but yes, yeah, Sibel was the earth goddess who's um, called by many different names as all of these archetypes are, but she had a cult following and took the form of a meteorite. Uh, I think Werner Herzog actually had a meteorite movie coming out, if I'm not mistaken. I read about it. I'm not sure if it came out or not yet, but he got all into that, too. I'll have um, to hunt that. I'll watch anything he does. <laughs> anything. Right? He is just, he transfixes me. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. He um, So, yeah, but it focuses on her history and basically, to make a long story short, those practices of that cult became the oracles. So anyone that followed Sibel was called a Sibyl, 
which was a Sibylline oracle, okay? And that's where we get the Delphi oracle was a Sibylline, okay? So all these practices come from there. It originates from Turkey. Turkey's such a hotspot, man. People got to look into the history of Turkey. I know even now it's got so much going on, but in my research, I discovered that tarot cards most likely originated from those oracles and those practices in Turkey. I know a lot of people put different origins. Some think it's Kabbalah. Some people say Egypt. Some people say Italy. But if you actually look at the very first decks of cards, they come from the same dang old spot as the Sabal worshippers and the oracles. So it's pretty, uh, it's really something. So I got to ask, now that we've talked all this about familiars and what they can do and what they are, how does somebody go about getting a familiar of their own? Yes. Um, <laughs> right? That's a simple question to answer. Ask me. No, yeah, go ahead. Simple question. There's a lot of ways, actually. So it's hard to just say, do this. I feel like some people are born with a big connection, right? Yeah, um, totally. They don't do anything, and it just is like a besiegement on them because, of course, like we said, it's taboo, and no one's going to understand you. Most people will think you're mentally ill if you're listening to voices or guidance or see dead people, so you've got all those hurdles to overcome if you just come in with it. Um, certainly, one of my favorite examples is Socrates, who had his, his daemon that he talked to, he ends up getting murdered because of his claims that he's talking to it. So it's like not an easy thing to have happen. Not everybody wants it. Some people just get it whether or not they asked for it. Right. So if you do have some of those experiences, I hope you read the book so that you know that maybe you're not crazy and there is other right. things that explain it, you know, um, to get one. If you're interested for me personally, it took a lot of work. Uh, it's not something you just snap your fingers and get going on. Cause like I mentioned, it's a relationship you got to build. Uh, one of the easiest ways though, is to start using divination systems and come into contact with a dialogue and the guiding sentience behind that divination system. And then it builds your connection to your guide, right? doesn't matter what divination system you use. They're all going to strengthen the muscle of your connection to your guidance system, right? So that's kind of like a straightforward way that's easy to learn about on Google. Uh, some of the practices I did with Dr. Kelvin DeWolf were a little more extreme, where we do things like go on vision quests that involve fasting, deprivation, right? All these kinds of uh, kind of, when you're gonna enter a supernatural space, you kind of have to have less earth and more spirit. Right? right. So you can't eat. Obviously, that's one of the biggies. Although some people have uh, familiar stuff happen without those things. But for me, that was what I had the most profound uh, connections and intensities with. When no matter what you're going to do, you really need to do mental work and discipline so that you don't go crazy. <laughs> Right. And you need to have respect and form a relationship with something that you respect as a separate sentience and entity, just like you would have a friend. Right. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> right. That's easier for some people than others. Yeah. Don't be abusive. Don't yeah. don't, you know, get weird. <laughs> <laughs> have boundaries, do boundary work, do grounding work. Right. So that you can like meter it and have uh, a lot of grounding in it. So essentially you're putting out the call for this thing to come and bond with you. So you're just essentially 
saying, hey, I'm looking for something or someone, you know, to to bond with me or what have you for the most part. Yeah. Yes. Obviously, people have different things. I can't judge. You're going to want what you want. Your heart wants what your heart wants. A lot of people will try to get their desires met through familiar work. My advice uh, is to just seek, um, you know, my obsession is always having to know everything. So I want to know stuff. So I'm seeking wisdom is my desire, which obviously has its own consequences, right? (laughs) So, but you're going to want what you want. I, I, my advice is try not to manipulate any other people, right? Do focus on yourself, empower yourself, do it to strengthen self and make a, a big, strong connection to spirit. You can't go wrong there. This is the part of the show that I do for all my guests where I say, okay, you know, pimp whatever you have. If you have books, if you have a website, um, if you do conferences, anything you do, if you want to talk about where can people find you and where can they get your stuff? And if you have a really cool nonprofit like you do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I do lots of stuff. My website is witchofthedawn.com. I have a nonprofit with my teacher called The Well-Wishers, where we go around doing do-goody type of things, trying to teach people about this kind of stuff, esoteric things and empowerment, like martial arts, um, trying to teach people about herbs and plants and all that kind of good stuff. And then I do services for folks that's through divination, through my familiar work. I have the Familiars and Witchcraft book. I just put out the Occult I Ching, which is a divination system that you can engage. I did my own tarot deck, which is another way to engage the familiar spirit. For wisdom, most of mine, I'll go on data, wisdom, and knowledge, like I said, because that's my weird obsession. Uh, And then I also did a book with my dear friend who passed on named Adam Parfrey. Some of you might be familiar with his work. He was a super genius, radical, free speech proponent. And we did a book called The Secret Source that goes into the history of the law of attraction and where it originates and some of the ancient Egyptian uses for that modality. Thank you for coming on here and doing this. We very much appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hopefully we haven't given you the same interview you've done a million times. Oh, you guys are awesome. You're so uh, well-versed and knowledgeable about this stuff. Thank you. We appreciate that. So I was just saying that that was an an honor. I was a compliment coming from her because she's a big deal. Ah, you guys are cuties. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously haven't seen pictures of us, but that's okay. We appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to let you go. Thank you much for coming on here and talking with us. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for this. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Maja DeWu, because we were going through before the show, how are we supposed to say your name right? And she corrected us before we hit the record button, fortunately. She's a sweetheart. I, she's really cool. She, she was really cool. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to talk her. I keep hijacking all your guests. And I'm fine but, with uh, that. And now I have to actually call them, <laughs> contact yeah, them. I am and fine actually with that. do a show one of these days. Oh, I've been so caught up in stuff, but it's all over because I'm, 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 
Yeah, you're done. now on your second quarantine. So to, to keep people up to speed now, you, yeah, you thought I, you had you thought you had the Rona, and then you didn't have the Rona. You just had a really bad flu or something like that. Went back to yep. work. Your job is transporting patients. Right. Went to New York. Yeah. Ended up transporting there where every every nurse and doctor I talked to up there said, oh, yeah, you had it. They just – you got a false negative or something. So they're like, make sure you take the antibody test. So then I come back to Philly and uh, transport – infected people in Philly and then the hospital doesn't tell us that the person's infected. The person doesn't tell us they're infected, which I can forgive and understand. You'd think that that's all taken care of. And I wore a mask anyway, luckily, Mm -hmm. but, uh, now I'm quarantined again and I I think I'm done. I've been in, (laughs) I've been in EMT off and on since I was 18. You're finally done. I mean, you shit about this for a month. Like how long, how much are you going to keep doing this? Like, "Ah, now you're like, no, I'm done. Shit's over with. I'm done. I keep working and I'm not making any money because every, every other shift I'm on quarantine. I can't do this. I kept waiting for you to come up here to Detroit because you know, things are bad here. I'm going to wait till it's really bad. And I'm just going to go to Detroit. You know, it's it sucks you like we just had this thing that happened in, in our state capital day lansing where everybody showed up blocked off all the roads to get out of the cars and then they started protesting at the, at the capital because they're like you know do we we shouldn't be locked down yada 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 blah 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 and uh and people just don't get it it's incredibly frustrating like we're just in michigan we're beginning to see the curve start to go down so yes it's working and I'm not going to lie. I have gone out in public. I, I go to my job every day where I sit in a little tiny office, which is basically a closet full of parts. And I run the company's website. And everybody that works with me are all super germaphobes. And I'm a germaphobe to a certain extent. So we're all like, okay, we're probably going to be cool with each other. But let's – you answer that phone. That's your phone. I'm going to stay here in this office. <laughs> you know, we kind of like – we're all like, okay, we, we, we're all going to like not touch anything. We all got hand sanitizer. And then I go out when I can. I grab my motorcycle and I go out for motorcycle rides. I go way out into the sticks. I don't go near anybody. I don't stop and talk to people. Uh, I don't even stop to go to a gas station. I'll ride out and then I'll come back. And then the gas station that I go to, it's completely hands-free. I just walk up, scan my card, scan my other card. You know, it doesn't require me to put a, a number in there. So I don't, really don't even touch that much. And then I come home and park my you, bike. You got to touch the pump. That's what gets you. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I've got yeah. gloves for that, you know, and then no, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like sanit- hand sanitizer. On everything oh, don't stuff. get me even started on the people wearing gloves now because now they'll go into the – I go up to this one lady. I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to tell you what to do, ma'am, but you're actually causing more harm with your gloves. And she's like, how so? I'm like, all right, say you go over and you pick up this box of pasta. Before you picked up this box of pasta, some chucklehead who was coughing and sneezing and picking at his teeth, who has COVID and is asymptomatic, then went and picked up this pasta and said, oh, no, that is lentil pasta. I want pasta made out of flour. Mm. He puts that back. Now you pick it up and pick up this and pick up that and pick up that other thing. So now that one thing that's infected You've now spread the 20, 30 other things. She's like, oh, I didn't think about it. And just since I've been talking to you, ma'am, you have touched your face four times. You are so infected, ma'am. Have a good day. <laughs> You're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you have that I might buy after you've passed, ma'am? See, like up here, 
you've got it's like the churches where all the church people were still going to church when COVID was a thing. Like the one pastor, I will keep doing this until I'm arrested or in the hospital. Well, he died. Well, he he caught Jesus is bigger than a virus, bro. They had somebody say that on the news, almost just uh, literally uh, that. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is a self fixing problem. These people are going to get together. They're going to get sick. The problem is, is when they go back home because they don't think this is a thing, they can in turn keep the process going. It's like, all right, if you're going to be this herd mentality, just go herd here and then stay here and then do what you're going to do and die. But don't do your stupidity onto everybody else. That needs to be Michigan's new statement. Herd here. Stay here. Yes. Die here. It's if, you, if you don't like, okay, here's a whole <laughs> bunch of campgrounds. If you don't believe this is a thing, go hang out at these campgrounds here and right. then just, you know, oh. let her, what happens is going to happen. And I hate to be that way about it, but it's like, everybody's yeah. like, well, we need to get back to returning back to work and getting business done. And it's like, man, you people just don't get it. You know, you, you, you just you don't. You have half the country that's scared to death and the other half that still thinks it's probably a democratic hoax or democrat hoax and then everyone's just everyone's just lost and See, some people just don't want to think about it being real because it terrifies them yeah so but you've seen shit so you you've you've seen shit firsthand oh i've seen the bodies stacked yeah it's, you've, uh, you've seen stuff and i had another buddy of mine who called me up a few days ago and they were having a really rough time it was like right after i got done talking to you the next day or the day after that i had a buddy call me up in the morning and he was losing it and he's like i don't know if i can do this anymore and then he started yeah, telling man. me stuff and then boom it pops up on the news in detroit like right after what he told me about it popped up in yeah. the news and the pictures and stuff popped up i and, never thought in my life i would see mass graves yeah i mean well that's a lie because i dug them in iraq but that was iraq mm-hmm. i never in my life thought i would be transporting bodies to a mass grave yeah I, 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 awful i mean i didn't go over to the island but but yeah, it, it was all there. There was a cafeteria in Brooklyn that was uh, had about fifty air conditioners in it, and bodies just stacked four high. See, that's cr- oh my god, it's so three hundred in there waiting to go to the mass burial, so they would move them all to that one. Like. I know we're not going to get a vaccine anytime soon. I'm hoping that yeah. we just get to a point where we have a treatment. It's like, all right, you've got it. Take this. You're going to be yeah. sick for about a week or something like that, but you're not going to die. I'm like, that's that right now. I'm like, okay, when, when can we yeah. have this? And there's a we few things even, that are out there. We don't even know. I mean, a whole family, four people in a family can get sick and everyone has something different. Yeah. And they all have, they all have COVID. So it, it's, well, from everything that I have seen and the people that I've talked to that are in this, I haven't ran into one person yet that said, no, this is not something that can be fixed or cured. Everybody's right. like, we've mapped the genome. The people that I've talked to, we've mapped the genome. It's just a genome. matter of time. Yeah, it's just a matter it's, of time. And How right long now, can we keep people from being idiots and can't. killing everyone we can't. before we can figure this out? We can. And we right can. now, I'm to a point where it's just like, can we just get a treatment? Because if I catch it and I get the treatment, okay, I'm going to get sick, but I'm not going to die. I'll make it through this. And right. that's what they're saying is going to happen a lot quicker than finding um, some kind of a, a, a counter virus or something like but that. But I've not it. gotten an answer for yet. And I know maybe one of your listeners will have that, and I hope they do and can post it. Is that It'll be Tyler. You, <laughs> right. Well, if you get the pneumonia vaccine will that keep it from settling in your lungs of course for me then i'll go to my heart or my kidneys but but is does that help or is it a completely like different thing that probably won't help because i wonder it's like what can i at least keep it from settling down there or so I don't, and they don't. No one knows anything. Yeah, you know, nobody I have six knows. doctors and get six different responses. That's a big and, part of the problem with this is nobody. Everything is yeah. so 
everything is so counter to one another and there's so much to it. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about no, COVID no. because everybody's COVID out right now. Everybody's freaked oh, out. Yes. And I kind of want to do, I kind of want to keep doing shows that don't relate to that to give people something else to think about for the most part. But, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is, is, yes, there is, there's not a, the vaccines further up, but there are treatments that are coming, you know, probably within the next six months or whatever. I know they started doing antibody testing last week at, um, shoot, where was it? They were talking about getting the antibodies together. The problem with the antibodies is once they get them and they get them into the system, it's a matter of mass producing the antibodies to get to be able to get them out to people. Cause there's so many, there's so, it's the same thing with the vaccine, the same thing with the treatment. Once we find this, it's a matter of how quickly can we produce this stuff to get it out there. So yeah. that's, and the, in the meantime, the, the octopus, octopi mm-hmm. are coming ashore. Yeah, but they are. More about that's, that in Bizarro Aficionado. That's really, really <laughs> weird that that's happening. That it they, is really weird. And hail the old ones. But um, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, yeah, I do want to yeah. give you a chance to talk more about your show, because every time you've been on here, we really haven't talked about it that much. We <laughs> talked about it at the beginning. I have a show. You have oh, a show. Yeah, I remember and I've been that. on there a couple of times. I think I've been on there two or three times, haven't I? Yeah. I believe I was in various states of, of intoxication when I was on <laughs> We had good fun shows. I I just couldn't put together a, a solid, serious show and. Not when I'm around. I was doing. That's why no. you, there's this <laughs> other show. I'm going to try on the next one. It'll Jake be and Tom serious. rule the world is another podcast that I've been going on quite frequently lately. And uh, every time I go on there, I'm either in a state of drunk or buzzed or a combination uh, of both. And they really insist that I come on that way. They're like, we don't want to do a show with you unless we know that you've that you've eaten some some THC and you've had some alcohol or a combination of those ones. Because like when I get on there, I become really boisterous and loud, and I kind of have a habit of like taking over their show, which they apparently no. love so i'm like all right whatever sure yeah <laughs> it's a total well, yeah, it's, geek show we'll have you on again it's bizarro aficionado it's on uh it's on everything it just just got put on iHeartRadio. radio uh, you can ask alexa for it if you add the stitcher app which I, I don't even know how you add stuff to alexa i have alexa and we're not speaking at the moment i'm bad with relationships <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's uh it's on podbean mainly and it's on apple and and wherever fine podcasts are bought and sold if you found ours you can find yours it's like yes, i keep yes, wanting to get a promo a, from you but i never have but you're on here enough to where i just need to get a promo from you anyways we need yes, to something i need out. to make a new one so Anyways, um, I think we're going to call this good, and I'm going to close yeah. the show up properly this time, and I'm going to say that this is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. You can say whatever the hell you want. I'm Gaz, and uh, thanks for listening to my drivel. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, folks. Later.
What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> oh, God! Fuck! <laughs> Shit, motherfucker! Hold on. <laughs> Whole microphone bracket and, and bookshelf and everything all just fucking took a shit. I'm gonna set every book I have on fire and I'll be right back. <laughs> Alright, tightened up again. Get in the hole, you whore. Now suddenly you don't fit. <laughs> Sake. I've been recording this whole time, so um I totally can't hear you because I don't have my cans on. Yeah. But I'm okay, holy Christ. Now everything's in fucking shambles. Okay. <laughs> I was recording all of that. Good, good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All it was it was a cord to my headphones that was stuck under my acoustic panel. And I'm trying to move it out of the acoustic panel and then Whole world dropped out. <laughs> All right. I am good to go. All right. Let me hit record.